0: does have it all all of our pre-owned vehicles are hubler q certified which include a 128 point vehicle inspection a free carfax vehicle history report and two warranties a two-year 100,000 mile powertrain warranty and a 30-day 1,000 mile comprehensive warranty visit any of our 13 locations today or click drivehubler.com
1: still here in the drivehubler.com studio i'm james board alongside jimmy cook eddie garrison Thank you for tuning in this Friday to the Fan Midday Show. We talked a lot in that first segment about the NFL, NFL contracts, NFL stars. We're going to pivot now to NBA stars. And my buddy John Krasinski, who covers the Timberwolves for The Athletic, knows what it's like to have a small market team reward a superstar with the max deal. And so, John, um, first off, thanks for coming on.
2: Hey, thanks for having me, James. Great to be on with you, and uh, glad to be here.
1: All right. So we have been discussing and breaking down the Tyrese Halliburton extension ever since it happened, and you look over, and it's pretty much the same sort of situation playing out with Minnesota with them investing in Anthony Edwards. And so um, how big do you think it is for these teams to be able to – nail down their guy and sort of point their franchise in a new direction. And obviously it looks like it's going to be a bright one if Anthony Richardson, not Anthony Richardson, I'm sorry. (laughs) I'm in Coltsland. But Anthony (laughs) Edwards is uh, leading the way there in Minnesota.
2: Yeah, James. I mean, you know, I I think that you guys know there, and I covered the Pacers a long time ago, so I know that market very well. Um, And it's similar here in Minneapolis. When you have a team that does not – serve as a destination for free agents when you're not in Miami, when you're not out LA and New York, where you just can kind of bank on free agents getting uh, past their, er- their early deals and then wanting to come and play uh, in these markets. Uh, you have to find a way to draft and develop your stars. And, um, and not just like your supporting players, but your a number one franchise face type stars. And, I think when you look at both the Timberwolves and the Pacers over the last several years, maybe one of the reasons that they have not been able to sort of break through in their respective conferences is really it gets down to you don't have that number one guy that you can hit your wagon to and can carry you through it. And now it looks like with Halliburton and Anthony Edwards, both franchises have found that number one guy, the one that helps make other teammates better, the one that uh, can take over a game in multiple phases uh, when it's needed, Um, the one that uh, will not sort of bow down to the pressures of being in a small market and trying to lift up an entire franchise. And so to have a guy like Edwards, I know the Timberwolves are ecstatic about getting him done with a five-year deal. And I'm sure the Pacers are, The same way with Halliburton, because they are both just such bright young stars with charisma, with personality, with leadership qualities, and with the games to match. It's just the biggest thing that you need in the NBA these days.
1: So that was my next question. You have two number one picks on that team. Obviously, Carl Anthony Towns is very talented. I don't think you can score 60 points in an NBA game and not be talented. But is Anthony Richard again, I'm sorry, Anthony Edwards, the guy? You see how much I've been talking about this guy. But Anthony Edwards, is he the number one guy? As he looked at, even from Cat's point of view, as he's our leader?
2: Well, I, I think that it, it, what both Cat and Anthony Edwards have recognized here, and there's been a ton of that conversation around here, whose team is it? Like, who is the leader? And I think that these two guys have played together long enough now, three years now, um, that they understand, and Kat really understands this as well as anybody, is that you can't just have one really good player and be successful in the NBA, especially in the Western Conference. You need multiple all-star level players to have a chance to win. And Towns has lost. Uh, an incredible amount of games in his eight years in um, in Minnesota. He's been to the playoffs three times, never been out of the first round. And so now that he has seen Anthony Edwards come along, um, they have made the playoffs the last two years with Ant as his running mate. Um, and the, the most important part of this whole thing is that um, cat and aunt get along really, really well. Uh, the cat and Jimmy Butler thing did not go well when it was when, when Jimmy was here. Um, but there's a real mutual respect for each other, and so I don't know that either one of them look at this situation as it's my team, it's not your team. I think they look at it as hey, we can we need each other for this thing to have a chance to work, and um, and so just because they get along that that well and they have that 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 chemistry I don't think that you have the same sort of possible friction or danger that comes a lot of times in this league when egos clash when 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 there's power struggles I just don't see that happening here in Minnesota.
3: John when we look back now a little over a year removed from the Rudy Gobert trade and and we know how it was dissected and in some ways panned or or discredited by the league as a whole no first round pick at least of their own accord for the timberwolves but they're able to go acquire one uh, from san antonio and make a couple selections in this draft but with that behind them knowing that they'll have their own first round pick in 2024 where is the vibe around the front office and the fan base post trade because there's all these great vibes of anthony edwards and retaining a, a key piece for the foreseeable future but is there any regret now from that rudy gobert trade you removed
2: well, certainly, if you ask fans, absolutely. Um, fans here are pretty down on Gobert in general. He had an underwhelming season, especially at the start of the season. He really did not play very well. And I think that really poisoned the perception of him um, within the local fan base. Um, and it was a tough year in that regard for him. I still think that internally, Uh, the Timberwolves executives and coaches believe that this can still work and they will tell you, they will make the argument that there's no way that this team would have made the playoffs last season with Towns missing 52 games. Like he did. If Rudy Gobert wasn't here, they're right about that. He was very good defensively, especially the second half of the season. He showed some signs of kind of fitting in a little bit better as the season went along, but there still is a long way to go. Uh, when you give up the amount of capital they gave up, draft player, draft equity, and um, and players that they gave up for Rudy Gobert, you, and you're paying him what you are paying him, which is a max salary contract for the next three years, you need to get more production from him. And so there is a belief that going into this next season with a full training camp, um, with more familiarity, that he will return to the player closer to what was with the Utah Jazz three-time defensive player of the year and all that stuff. But that said, he has a lot to prove. And this Timberwolves team has a lot to show all of the doubters and skeptics out there, both in the fan base and around the league, that this can work. There remains a ton of skepticism that, that they can actually figure out a way to make this work. And so there's going to be a lot of eyeballs on Rudy Gobert and on this team in the next, uh, especially at the start of next season, to see if they've figured anything out or if this really is as doomed an experiment as some people believe it is.
1: I don't know. I just remember that punch at the end of the season. I was like, what the heck is going on in Minnesota? Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <but> <laughs> when you look at them actually making the playoffs, I mean, if you look at it, it's pretty crazy. They knocked off, or at least for one game, the Denver Nuggets, which the Lakers couldn't mm-hmm. do. And so... When they've had that taste, and I guess with Anthony Edwards in particular, what do you think it takes to make that next step? Because I think here in Indianapolis, for the Indiana Pacers, it's how do you get to the play in the playoffs, but obviously it feels like the Timberwolves are a little bit further along. So how hungry is Anthony Edwards to sort of have that that postseason success? Yeah, I think
2: that's, I mean, that's the thing that I think brings a lot of optimism around here is that in his two playoff series, this uh, last one against the Nuggets and against the Grizzlies the year before, where they lost in six games in the first round, um, Anthony Edwards came to play both series. Had really really strong series. I think Bruce Brown was on a podcast um, this this summer and he said that both that the Timberwolves are the hard that yeah. gave the Nuggets the hardest series, and Anthony Edwards was the hardest guy for him to guard. And so that tells you that uh, he he is capable of really strong performances and taking over games, even in the playoffs, not just a regular season player. One thing that we saw from Anthony Edwards in the Denver series as it kind of slipped away was you could see that it really bothered him, that he was really upset that he was going to miss going to the second round of the playoffs for a second year in a row. And a lot of times these career arcs for NBA players is you have to get punched in the mouth a couple of times early on and understand that you don't like the taste of blood in your own mouth and, and and you have to work at it and it has to serve as motivation and get you going and push you harder in the summertime to prepare, prepare for the next season. And I think that's what we have seen from Anthony Edwards is he understands that, hey, I really don't like to lose. And he is one of the few guys on this roster that can sort of almost by himself make uh, turn those things around and and make it so that they don't lose. And so when you have your best player um, under contract and also incredibly motivated to not bow out in the first round again, uh, I think that serves the Wolves well going into this season. And if he can use that disappointment as fuel going forward, uh, that that should help him and help this team a lot.
3: John, I want to pivot for just a second. John Krasinski, nice enough to take some time with us, covers all things Minnesota sports for The Athletic. I want to pivot towards the NFL for just a second because we're seeming around the NFL and it's been a discussion we've had the last couple of weeks. The... Public now, I guess part of running backs where their value really is. Teams have known it for the last couple of seasons, but now we're really seeing it come to the public eye with ongoing battles of fighting the tag and should you extend a player and should you not. When you look back at the season that Dalvin Cook had last year, and we know Alexander Madison, unlike other teams, was kind of waiting in the wings and the Vikings like what they have with him, but how surprised were you at the swiftness of them letting him go? And then, how surprised are you now that Dalvin Cook, as we enter camp, is still without a team?
2: Yeah, I mean, I I, I particularly wasn't surprised, just because you know when you're around the team and you see the way that their GM Quaziah Daflemenza and, and their and their head coach Kevin O'Connell want to run things, you could see that Dalvin was probably um, you know not long for the way that they want to run their team, and also with the money they're going to have to pay Justin Jefferson and several other high profile players, like you got, you got to squeeze it somewhere. And running backs, unfortunately, are the ones getting squeezed. And so Dalvin was, is on a, was on a lucrative contract. And, um, and so that was an area that they targeted as, as a place that, Hey, we might have to nip and tuck here so we can create more room elsewhere to, to keep some of the guys at the more, Uh, featured positions on our roster. And so uh, to see him let go after another productive season was not surprising, but I am a little bit surprised that he has not yet landed with the Jets, with the Dolphins, with, with another team, because unlike some of the other running backs that we have seen get squeezed like this, Dalvin isn't at the end of his career. He's 20, you know, he's 27 years old. I think he'd be 28 this year. He still has, you know, a year or two before that vaunted 30 that you hit. And, and and a lot of times where you really tail off, he's still a home run hitter, very productive. Um, but he is getting towards the end of what normally is a prime for running back. And he's had several injuries that he's had to deal with over the course of his career. So he's not incredibly durable. But when you put the ball in his hands, he is one of those guys that, uh, he might, you know, go for three, might go for four, he might go for two, and then he's going to go for 60. And that's just how dangerous that he is. And I believe he remains a dangerous player right now, um, e- even despite not being signed.
1: John, were you there in Minnesota for that collapse against the Colts or vice versa? I guess they oh, yeah. come back.
2: Okay. Yes. Well, I'm sorry. No, you know what? I was not there because um, – it was. I had a. I think a family gathering. It was the one home game that I missed that season, and I remember tweeting during the first half, like, "Oh, this is the best decision that I ever made not to go cover this game because <laughs> it looked like, I mean, just a wipeout, and um, and there really wasn't a whole lot to say. And you know, the tweet did not age well. It was old takes exposed <laughs> in about thirty minutes, and um, and a remarkable remarkable comeback but yeah that was the one game that I actually missed this
1: season oh no I was there I was just asking because in that game jokes aside Dalvin Cook looked he was part of that that change talk about making a big play he had that huge screen pass and took it to the house and so obviously they're pivoting away from him and, and, and and their core obviously is made up of one of the best wide receivers in the game arguably the best in the game right now and so what has it been like to see Justin Jefferson's ascension and how valuable it is to get – you know, everyone talks about getting the quarterback right, and obviously that matters the most in the NFL, but to get that true top-tier number one receiver, what has that done for the franchise? And, again, what has it been like to see him kind of make a name for himself at a place that has had great you know, wide receiver tradition?
2: Yeah, that. I mean, that's the key, James, is like he's, he's – quickly ascending to the Mount Rushmore of Vikings receivers. And that is a high bar to clear. I mean, you got Moss, you got Carter, Chris Carter, you have Anthony Carter, you have Jake Reed, you have a ton of, you know Stefan Diggs, you have a ton of great receivers who have come through here. And Jefferson is quickly just establishing himself as a marquee player. And he's one of, I, I would argue, he's, you know, close to transcending that star power in the NFL where you become a little bit more recognizable as a household name to casual fans. I mean, there's not many guys because they wear the helmets that, um, that are that visible, Uh, the Patrick Mahomes level, the Tom Brady level, Peyton Manning level. Um, But for, for a receiver to do it, uh, I think uh, Jefferson is close to that. And the biggest thing that he's done for the Vikings, James, is that, um, they, they have, there's been this kind of constant debate about whether Kirk Cousins is a good enough quarterback for them to win playoff games and have a chance to go to the Super Bowl. And prior to Jefferson's arrival, uh, he, Cousins was very mediocre. Last year, Cousins had an incredibly productive season, and – Because Jefferson wins so many contested balls, because he is so dynamic down the field, Jefferson has gotten Cousins to sort of break out of the robotic mold that he's had for most of his career, where he's just an ice-cold decision maker, and he goes one way and he doesn't take chances. Jefferson's gotten him to take a few more chances and change the way in subtle ways that Kirk Cousins... Plays quarterback, and that has made this offense more dangerous because Cousins is willing to cut it loose a little bit down the field towards Jefferson and just trust him to make a play where he would not trust many of the other receivers that he's thrown to. So uh, that just that element of danger added is is a huge one for Jefferson. And you know, a lot of times quarterbacks make receivers better. I think in this case, the receiver has made the quarterback better.
1: Look, John, we appreciate your time, man. I'll make sure to check in with you throughout the season, both NBA, NFL. I'm excited to see Anthony Edwards and Tyrese Halliburton team up for Team USA in the World Cup later this summer. But you take care, my friend.
2: Hey, big fan of your work, James. Keep killing it out there, and I'll talk to you soon, man.
1: All right. That was John Krasinski, covers the Minnesota Timberwolves, Minnesota Vikings for The Athletic.
4: Life is full of things to manage. Your work, your family, your plans, and your treatment.
3: Efforting Joe Rexroad as things stands, if we're able to obtain him to, again, take a dive into the Titans and where their outlook is heading into training camp. Great. For the time being, we'll resume that conversation, though, with the running back market and where it's at. We discussed this yesterday, James. For running backs now that are in that 25 to 27 range, it feels like that is the new mark of a decade ago where, well, once you get to 30, you're willing to think about how much you're willing to pay for a running back. And now it feels like it's dropped to, well, once you're around 27, 28, we're willing to think about how much money or how much percentage of the cap we're willing to invest your way. And I can hear from my headset that it sounds like we have Joe Reckford, so won't be able to dive fully into this as we wanted to. But it, it makes for a fascinating conversation as to whether or not running backs of the Dalvin Cook and Ezekiel Elliott variety, what type of money they could maybe expect if they're getting on loan to a team for a year as training camp and everything unfolds. But we do have Joe Rex Road. He covers the Titans for the Athletic. Nice enough to make some time with us in this last break period before training camp begins. Joe, how are you on a Friday?
5: I'm doing great, guys. Uh, looking forward to camp. How are you guys doing? We're doing great.
1: I'm doing better than great. I am excited <laughs> for camp. No, I'm joking. I'm like, hey, camp is like, you know, 50 50. You're excited for it, but it's going to be hot and like long. And so um, it should be exciting, though, with the new quarterback here and in Tennessee. Yeah. So we'll
3: jo- see. Joe James has a bucket hat ready to go for camp <laughs> because he, he wants to be prepared like most experienced beat riders do for the elements out there. Do you have a routine or anything you have prepared for Titans camp in terms of uh, protection for yourself?
5: Oh, absolutely, the bucket hat. I mean, I, at this point, at my age, I mean, if I go out and wonder the flowers, I won't uh, <laughs> have to do that, you know. But actually, I'm, I'm debating. I've got a, a friend, John Glennon, who's been here for the times for a long time, who goes the long sleeve route. And Ooh. I've always been a little like, like, oh, man, it looks so hot, and it's 96 out here. But, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm actually considering it, you know, some you know some light but long sleeves. So we'll see.
1: Hmm, I'm taking notes over here, you know, I'm just taking notes. (laughs) We actually had John on a a couple weeks ago, so it's funny you brought him up. But um, to, I guess, get a little bit more serious, when you look at what is surrounding the Titans, the biggest news obviously of late is DeAndre Hopkins. So what is the vibe around their franchise now that they know that they have a number one receiver, but obviously there's still some questions there about how he's going to fit, who's going to be throwing to him all season, things like that.
5: Yeah, well, that's certainly, I mean, Titans fans are excited. I mean, like, the Titans have kind of been, it's like two timelines, almost like the, the Spider-Verse movies, you know? It's kind of like, are you on the rebuild timeline <laughs> retool, or you still think you're good? And, you know, inquiring about the value, you know, Derek Henry, and Ryan Tannehill, I think it was possible this year that they would, be, would have been willing to take, you know, a more significant step back and, and look for the future, but you know, once Tannehill and Henry are coming back, you need to be as good as you can be. I mean, it's, you know, I mean, this is probably their last hurrah, so the receiver room, I think you could have made a case for the Titans to have the worst receiver room in the NFL before this. I, certainly the least proven. I mean, I think Traylon Burks has a chance to be very good, and Kyle Phillips has a chance to be good, but yeah, this is a, a pretty big deal. Of course, if he's healthy and available and all that stuff, but all indications are that he is, and you know, Mike Braybill does have the pre-existing relationship with him, so I think there's more, uh, I guess, certainty on the Titans' part than maybe two years ago, or at least Brable's part than like two years ago when John Robinson traded for Julio Jones. And Titans fans, there's a long list of uh, of you know, veteran receivers, great receivers who have come to Nashville and just for whatever reason, like just their careers have kind of just faded. So Titans fans are you know hoping that changes, but yeah, I mean it's it, to me gives them a chance. They have a pretty good skill group potentially now. With Chigger Conquit, tight end, also. Um Spears, a running back they drafted, they're really excited about him, especially in the passing game. So we'll see if they can block.
3: You mentioned veteran wide receivers that find Tennessee as a, as a retirement home. I know you didn't say it that bluntly, but but that's kind of how we, we view it in Indianapolis. And the name that comes to mind, at least most recently, is Julio Jones. And I think most of us would agree that DeAndre Hopkins, at least in terms of where he appears to be at from a physical standpoint, isn't in that same crater off like it was year after year in Atlanta. Where is this Julio's last year? How much does he have left? But as you refer to all of that of the maybe concern or the the fear of oh well this is just a destination where players go to get a final paycheck and and you know ride off into the sunset in that regard with the money as you look at the differences between where Julio Jones was for this offense when they acquired him and where DeAndre Hopkins is they're two totally different receivers but in a similar sense you're hoping for the type of payoff to a higher degree than what you actually got out of Julio Jones a couple of years ago no
5: yeah, for sure, and you know the the huge difference, of course, is Julio joined an offense that in twenty twenty was averaging thirty one points a game. I mean, it was, really was one of the best offenses in the NFL. I mean, it had everything going. Derrick Henry two thousand plus. Tannehill was a Pro Bowl level quarterback that year. AJ Brown, Corey Davis, Johnny Smith. I mean, now of course they, they lost Davis and, and Smith in that offseason, but you know the the narrative around here then. I mean, that that was the most hyped and anticipated Titans team in season 21 going into the season than I, I think since McNair and Eddie George, you know, wow. 20 years earlier. And, of course, the, the wild thing is they still got the one seed that year, but it was not what we thought. And certainly in terms of Julio, it was not. It, what's what's similar is that you know the, the numbers for Hopkins last year and Julio last year, right down to both with nine games. I think one had 771, one had 717. They both had three touchdowns like eerily similar numbers. So, you know, it's, it's impossible not to think of it, but I think to your point, I think the hope one is that with Julio, obviously Julio, I'm an all time, great a hall of famer. And you know, when he was at his best, very much, you know, a speed guy. I mean, a guy who relied, heavily at on his speed all around great player, but Hopkins has never been a, an ex- exceedingly fast receiver. He has, some things that I think with age, he can still age better into them. I mean, the catch radius is ridiculous. Everybody knows he's uh, a, an incredibly good route runner. So it's, it's just the health, you know, Julio had had the hamstring the year before, and that was really the first year he'd had any significant injury that kept him out of significant time. Hopkins had two straight years, of stuff, although it was the MCL on hamstring two years ago. Last year was the PD suspension, and then whatever happened at the end of the year. I mean, it was a knee injury. That the, the Cardinals apparently didn't think it, he was really hurt, but you know, the Titans are hoping that he wasn't, right? I mean, <laughs> that basically that he's past the MCL stuff and, and can be more himself and more the version of himself that he was before all that.
1: Yeah, I love how we talk about you know what it took to get – You know, DeAndre Hopkins there, and and you'll have all these stories inside the, you know, edition of him. And it's like they handed him a bag of money that other teams were not willing to give him. And so it's very enticing, no matter who's the quarterback and things like that. But when we're talking about money, one of the hot topics is obviously running backs and their lack of being paid. And one of the players who was awarded not recently, but I would say most recently among running backs was Derrick Henry. And what were you? What was your reaction to him sort of voicing his opinion about the depreciation of that position, and even him being as lead as he is, maybe kind of seeing the writing on the wall?
5: Yeah, well, I'll tell you, you know, Derek Henry is not someone who's out there tweeting about much, you know. So you, you take notice when he does, and you know that it means a lot to him. And it's really interesting because. When Derrick Henry got his second deal with the Titans, there were people all over the NFL, but even people in this town, people who I, I, I still don't let them you know forget about it, who were screaming, you don't pay a running back. You don't pay that second deal of a running back. You draft another one. Come on, look at all the recent examples of guys who got paid and then broke down, you know, Todd Gurley, whatever. And I was like, guys, look. You've got to look at this on a case by case basis. He is, I mean, he just carried them to within a half of the Super Bowl with one of the most dominant stretches of running the football we've ever seen in the NFL. And you're telling me you don't pay that guy? And of course, it was the absolute right decision to pay him. I mean, even paying him, of course, and the sad thing for running backs is, like, his deal still wasn't even that much bigger than, like, Chris Johnson got, you know, in 2008. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's absurd. But, but he's an example of at least, a, like, You you can't just go across the board and say running back this or running back that. There are outliers. But, unfortunately, for a lot of guys who who, who, uh, play at that position, that's what he is. He's an outlier. And uh, so, yeah, and as far as, as as, like, looking forward, look, I've said this, um, you know, like on our show lately, it's like I I can see Derrick Henry having a 1,500-year-old season and um, being really good, being great again, and still not finding – a great market out there uh, next year if he's not here, you know? And, and I think it's just, he's just a unique player. He's kind of a throwback player. And, and what the Titans do, it's it's built around him. How many teams out there not only w- would want to pay him much, but would then want to kind of build around him or, or give him the ball enough to sort of, you know, to, to enhance the value? I think he is a guy who needs volume carries, you know? So it's tough. I mean, it's it's totally unfair. You know, it is because he is a great player, and I, I've talked about this too. It's like Nick Sable wanted to make him a linebacker, when he came to Alabama. I mean, I, like down the road, how much joy are we going to be robbed of from great players who should be running backs who just do anything else? Because it's bad business to be a running back. Like what if Barry Sanders was like turned into a cornerback back in nineteen eighty six? You know, I mean, it's 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 terrible.
3: Joe Rexford with his covers, the Titans for the athletic. Joe, when I look at, at Derrick Henry and I look at other players that are top of the market in the running back conversation Christian McCaffrey, Alvin Kamara, and, and when those deals got done, I know that with McCaffrey it was in Carolina, but it was teams that looked at the player that they had and realized this is the best aspect of our team. It is the reason we are in games. We need to pay this guy, not only because he matters to the fan base, but because he matters to our chances of winning games. And when you look around the league, I feel like there's less and less examples of teams feeling like we have to pay this player because he is the best thing on our offense and there's no other way to win. And you can't clone Derrick Henry's. They don't like you mentioned. They don't grow on trees. So that's not a real solution for the rest of the running back conversation for this collection of Henry and Taylor and Jacobs and Eckler that are on Twitter and getting mad about where the payroll is for running backs compared to the rest of the league. That's a long way of saying you can't clone it for a solution. There's no way to clone more Derrick Henry's. What is the solution other than waiting until the CBA expires in seven years and, and hoping to renegotiate to a way that is more fitting for running backs?
5: Yeah, I don't know, but I, I just think it's – I mean, the the thing is, like, with a McCaffrey – like, Alvin Kamara, uh, as great as Drew Brees was and, and Michael Thomas before he started having all the injuries, I mean, h- how important was he to what they did? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I still think he would be, but, he, but injuries have gotten him, right? Yeah. And that's another problem here. So, to me, the only answer is, if you are a running back, be a very good pass-catching running back. You know, because I, like, I still think McCaffrey this year – along with other people, but he's gonna be one of their main weapons. Yep. He's gonna be very important to what they do. So it's there's value there. But I don't like that's the thing with Derek, you know, Derek yeah. worked very hard to, you know on his hands and the but he's not a he's not a you know a choice route, you know, short space quick right. beat guy. It's just it's never going to be. So he in particular is is just like you're not gonna see much more of that. I think anyone now playing the position being heavily involved in the pass game as much as possible being a proficient route runner that's the only answer i would say for the, for the you know for the people who are playing the position but yeah i think to your point more and more th- those value guys and those key central guys are on the outside
1: yeah to piggyback off that i'm thinking to myself if an alien like him can't get paid then what are mere mortals going to do because <laughs> right, I mean, right. the guy is I mean he's been durable he's been consistent he's been obviously at an all pro level at some point in his career so you just wonder about the future of that position like you said I do think it's going to have to be sort of just a wide receiver kind of masquerading at running back and, and kind of how that goes but when we uh, pivot from running back to quarterback that's also I, I would believe in um, Nashville and Tennessee to be a hot topic and so what has it been like to see Ryan Tannehill obviously come back from an injury and then looking at the team perhaps taking a peek at their future with Will Levis
5: yeah well you know, Tannehill and that's the first time he's had you know serious injury issues here he's been very durable here of course you know, part of the end of his Miami time was you know shoulder and knee mm-hmm. uh, and, and but he. But then last year it caught up with him really because, I mean, the guy could barely set up in the pocket. I mean, they lose Terrell Lawan and they didn't have a left tackle, and it was bad. But he's healthy, he's back, he looks good. He's I think he can be very good if he can get protection. I mean, he's a quarter, he's a good quarterback, at times a very good quarterback, if the condition's are right. I mean, he, he you know he needs a clean pocket. I don't know if the Titans are going to provide that or not. But as far as the, the quarterback position itself, you know, in the spring – yeah, I mean he's he's well above both of the backups, Will Levis and Malik Willis. And I would say right now, Malik Willis is a is ahead of uh, Will Levis. Um, I don't know that that's a huge surprise, but it does speak well. I mean, Malik Willis has worked hard, and there's like the inside the building, people are really happy with what he's done, excited. You know, he never should have played last year. I mean coming out of that Hugh Freeze offense in the NFL is not easy. It is a very, very spoon-fed offense. And, you know, the Titans they probably made a mistake in making him QB2 last year. He still has a ton of ability. He's done in the offseason what he's needed to do. So, you know, I, I still say, I mean, when you move up to pick Levis in the second round, that's one, not a vote of confidence for Willis. And it's obviously kind of you know, designating uh, Levis as the future. And that, that would be my guess right now, is that he's the starter next year. But it's going to be very interesting in camp to watch those two compete for reps and it's you know it's possible that next year it could be Levis Willis maybe one two maybe in a competition. I mean I'm I'm keeping an open mind on it cuz you know how these things go. I mean look what happened in San Francisco, you know? Sometimes someone you invest a lot in someone and then someone else is just better and you just go with that.
3: Joe, we had John Glennon on earlier this week as well, and we asked him this question. I want to get your take on it also. When you look at the AFC South of where it is, a lot of arguments are made that, well, yeah, Jacksonville's getting all these roses and flowers because they made the divisional round and came back against the Chargers in the wildcard round, but they're only there by mere inches with how the South played out in the final game of the season last year. When you look at the division, in your mind, are the Titans closer to Jacksonville or closer to where the Colts and Texans are in terms of how this season might play out?
5: I think they're closer to Jacksonville. I, I, I've said a couple times, the offensive line, that's the big thing. Um, Nicholas Petit for a right tackle, starting right tackle, second-year right tackle, six-game suspension for gambling. So right now they may sign George Fant here soon, but that's a problem. They've done a lot of shuffling. And, you know, Andre Dillard, we're going to find out if he's a starting left tackle in the NFL. I think it will be an upgrade over Dennis Daly last year, but how much? I think the defense is pretty good, though. Uh, and, and Jeffrey Simmons has a long-term deal, and Harold Landry is coming back. You got to keep the expectations, you know, reasonable for a guy coming off an ACL. But they have good pieces. And Nico Autry continue. I mean, when Autry and Simmons are healthy, they're they're a problem for people. And I think they're going to be good, maybe better than that, on defense. And I like, like I said, I like the skill group potential now with Hopkins. So yeah, I mean. I... I mean, the Titans were there, and they were a bad play away from beating Jacksonville on the road to still win the division with Joshua Dobbs, who'd been in town for 10 days at quarterback. I mean, I think it's I think it's a little closer than people realize, and I think it'll be a pretty decent race.
1: So, Joe, I have to ask because I find this topic fascinating. The Colts usually get beat up by the Titans. That's usually how it happens. And I just picture Jim Irsay being so upset because I know it bothers him. That Mike Vrabel and his team just seems to out-tough him every year. Or so I'm gonna put you on the spot: Do the Colts beat the Titans in one of these two games, whether it's here or in Nashville? Ooh, that's
5: yeah, such a great question. The hard part for me is, I mean, first of all, like I'm just obviously just fascinated, you know, by Anthony Richardson. I think he could be amazing. I, mean, I saw him live one time last year. It was in Knoxville. And that day, I'm like, I mean, are we sure he's not the number one pick? He was unbelievable that day, and of course, he wasn't every day. Yeah, we all know that. So, there are going to be ups and downs, but I can certainly see an up in one of those games. I mean, I, I think there's a, a definitely a good chance the Colts get a split. Um, I guess right now, would I pick it? I'd probably not pick it, but I'm intrigued by it, and I'm definitely not ruling
1: it out. I'm just curious that was because. Kind of a yeah, no, it's fine. It's it's fine because I'm just curious because it, it seems like no matter who is available for the Titans, they just win ugly when it yeah. comes to the Colts. And I just picture Jim Irsay just picking up a chair and like just – screaming in in, in agony when that happens and so um, it'll be fun to see what kind of goes down and obviously there's a lot of moving parts I think in this division that makes it enticing but do you think that it's still like on paper at least the Jaguars division to lose like is it theirs because of what they've done with Trevor Lawrence and the progress they've made
5: yeah I mean they'd be my pick still I mean yeah I think it's I think it's going to be a race between the uh, Jaguars and Titans but yeah I'd have to pick Uh, the Jags you know I I don't know like how is is Trevor Lawrence going to become a great cornerback? you know I don't know but obviously he had the lost rookie year with all the 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 circus going on there and Doug Peterson's a good coach and obviously did a lot with him so I mean you had Calvin Ridley to that group you know they, they did have some losses up front but I I think uh I think they're the favorite but uh you know I I don't think yeah I think you know, I think there has been a little bit too much like just assuming they're going to walk cakewalk the division. I don't think that's gonna happen.
3: Joe, do you think that assumption is made because they look at Jacksonville and see what could be another great coach to quarterback pairing around the NFL? Or do you think it's they look at Tennessee and think, well, they kinda crashed and burned last year and what have they really done outside of Hopkins to Stay afloat within that conversation. Is it more on the Titans or is it more on the Jaguars for why that assumption is made league wide?
5: I think it's more on the Titans. I mean, I think some people think that about the Jags, but look, I've looked around. I mean, our guy Dane Brugler, I think he has the Titans picking like third. You know, he does that early mock draft. <laughs> right. where I'm like, dang, you think they're just going to be trash? Um, <laughs> I think Bill Barnwell, ESPN, I think he had him like as the thirtieth best roster. And I and I just I think I think people are a little bit off. You know, I think. The Titans, you know, it's not. I'm not trying to make excuses, but the injuries have been absolutely absurd the last years. Now, maybe that's just a matter of you got to move on to some different players, and in some cases they did. But you know, they lost seven straight games. Their, their owner fires the GM in the middle of the season. That did have an impact. Simmons was playing some weeks, but he was not Simmons. Autry missed time and was not Autry. And Tannehill, you know, they're six and six with Tannehill, and they're one and four without him. Um so I think they're a little better than people give them credit for. Uh, and, it, and some of it is – you know, now, granted, Vrabel also loses some head scratches, but he has a knack, especially defensively. I mean, look what he's able to do consistently against Patrick Mahomes in that offense. It doesn't make sense, but he's got – in the Jacksonville game at the end of last year, he's got a knack, especially with a defensive game plan in a particular game, to get his team to overachieve pretty consistently. So I think that's part of it, too.
1: So I'm going to throw one last one at you. It's a very unique question, and I had this debate weeks back with these guys. So let's say injuries are turned off. You get 100 tries in the Oklahoma drill against Derrick Henry. <laughs> How many times are you getting him on the ground? Oh.
5: <laughs> oh, absolutely zero. Oh, absolutely. I mean, there's, basically it's like almost like dive to a spot and grab his foot and twist. But, like, I don't think that's going to work. Yeah, I'll say Zero.
1: <laughs> oh, man, that's always just a phone out. you for that. turning
5: injuries off. It's
1: probably- <laughs> <I was laughs> like, yeah, <laughs> you got people who are like, yeah, I'll get them on. i like, I still don't think I would have a chance. But I'm looking forward to seeing it this year. And I'll say this, and this is an inside joke for me and you, uh, make sure you keep up with the AirPods.
5: <laughs> exactly. <laughs> oh, man, you're my MVP still, yeah. <laughs> All, right,
4: All right, you have a good one, Joe.
5: Thanks, Joe. You too. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it.
1: is such a jam. It is. In any way. Is it by Aerosmith, Jimmy? (laughs) Oh, goodness. We won't go down whatever route Eddie's going on, but you're listening to... There's a troll under a
3: bridge behind the board. I know. Jimmy Cook, James Boyd here.
1: (laughs) On 107.5, the fan, the midday show, we've been talking about contracts and running backs and franchise tags all week, all day. It won't change because obviously we're on Jonathan Taylor watch for the next year or so unless an extension gets done. But one guy who would know a lot about this whole narrative and landscape is... Lost oh, we actually lost Pat Leonard from he New York Daily News. But for we time. will get him, I promise you. Before we... I guess we get him on the phone. We talked about Saquon's comments and how they might have hurt him. But I'm not sure if they did, Jimmy, because... Did he have any leverage to begin with? It yeah. is it I don't think it rubs his teammates the wrong way. I don't think it rubs anybody and upper management the wrong way. It probably doesn't help, but I don't think it hurts as much as people are saying, like, oh my gosh, he doesn't get money now. He wasn't gonna get it before.
3: Yeah. And I mean so, he made those comments as well before the contract negotiations failed. It was still a couple days beforehand.
1: All right, so we do have Pat now. I'll blame Eddie for that. Pat, how you doing? <laughs> <laughs> I'm doing great, guys. Thanks for having me on. Glenn and i right. blame the producer. <laughs> I- always, you know, I'm like, I'm not bad. That, that's I'm what not, he's there for, mean, I reached out to Pat. I just, I, you know, I shooted the text or, or messaged in the DMs. I did my job. But Pat <laughs> Leonard covers the Giants for the New York Daily News and obviously is an NFL columnist as well. So, Pat, when it comes to this whole, I don't even want to call it a saga. It's just a situation that I feel like is very clear to understand. But, um... Where does Saquon stand on all of this, and do you expect to see him at all before the season starts?
6: Yeah, James, I, I don't expect to see him before the season starts. Uh, I'm questioning whether he'll actually hold out, but we'll get there. But where he stands is, you know, he feels like he's worth even more than what he was asking for. Now, you and I and others can debate of whether he is as good of a full package back as a guy like Christian McCaffrey or Avin Kamara. And where does he fall when you talk about Nick Chubb, Aaron Jones, Derrick Henry, and these other high-paid backs? But Saquon believes he's the full package and also understands that if he doesn't maximize his value now on this second contract, that he's certainly not going to do it on his third. And so, you know, being 26 years old already and feeling like he did a lot for the Giants as a player on the field, as a representative of their organization, as a teammate, as a guy who's played through injury. At the end, he felt disrespected by offers that frankly, in my opinion, were not, like most people I think on the outside probably think this was like Saquon getting low-balled and him saying no. I don't think it was technically a complete low-ball from the Giants, but it certainly wasn't at the level that he felt was you know, reflective of his value.
1: Yeah. It's funny you bring that up because I think I'm worth a hundred million dollars. So um, I'm <laughs> severely <laughs> underpaid and, you know, underrated, but um, jokes aside, Pat, how much do you think the guaranteed money is a factor in these negotiations? Cause sometimes we look at just the overall number and it's like, Oh, well they offered him this, why wouldn't he accept it? But how much, and I know you probably don't know the exact details, but just being a football in the league, I would imagine that that is a big sticking point, no matter if it's Saquon, uh, Josh Jacobs, Dalvin Cook, whoever the case may be, just that guaranteed money to make sure that you're secured just in case, as we've seen, you get cut like a, like a Dalvin Cook.
6: No doubt. And, okay, so here's what I know. So the Giants, at the end, before this deadline, they got into the area of 12 and to $12.5 million on average a year and in the neighborhood of somewhere like 22 to 25 million guaranteed, right? But it's not fair to assume that that means that's fully guaranteed money Bingo. either, because because let's say nine million or no, let's say six million of the 25 was in per game roster bonuses. So that's the Giants hedging on a commitment to a running back because he has an injury history, Mm -hmm. he could get injured again very easily. So from Saquon's perspective, if he says, okay, I heard a report that I got offered 12 and a half a year and $25 guaranteed, but only 19 of it was really fully guaranteed because of this and that, that's how he gets to a point back in June where he felt like all the reports, he didn't like it because it made it look like he was accepting a contract that in and of itself, it was not fully reflective of the numbers that now everybody was parroting. And so that's what it's all about. But it's still about the average annual value, too. Because, like, for example, now no one knows what the drop-dead number was. I thought if the Giants got to $13 million average annual, annual value, that was going to get it done. I don't think their final offer got there. It was that in the spring. But you have to remember that as much as the guarantees matter, if he wasn't above – Twelve and a half million on average a year. He's not above Derrick Henry, who signed years ago, and therefore he's not the third highest paid back by average annual value. He's fourth or fifth or sixth, and so there's a little bit of, you know, ego, but also market value from the running backs' perspective that gets taken into account there too.
3: Pat Leonard with us, NFL columnist, Giants beat writer for the New York Daily News. Pat. Even though the comments were slightly taken out of context with some outlets on the Money Matters podcast, Saquon Barkley was laying out potential options that he would have from a leverage standpoint. And, and I understand his frustration and all of this. But from the team's standpoint, after Le'Veon Bell swing and miss to try to do this five years ago of fighting a tag when the ultimate outcome was you didn't get any of that money, Do the Giants just put their feet up and understand, look, we couldn't come to a deal, but he's going to play week one. Otherwise, the financial penalties are going to rack up. And while it impacts us, maybe from on-field production, it doesn't impact us from the cap.
6: Right. So as you just accurately said, even though everyone is interpreting that snippet from Barkley as I'm going to hold out and go nuclear, that was very much more sounding like, I know this is my option, but I don't want to do it. Right. It's more yeah. like what yeah. he's saying. And I think the Giants looked at that as look at all the leverage we have, and we also know Saquon knows we have this leverage because he, he wants to win more than anything. He wants to be a good teammate. He doesn't want to do it. Um, you know, so I think I think from the standpoint of how are the Giants going to react here when he doesn't show up to training camp. I think from a business perspective, they're completely comfortable with where this is and they expect him to still report when all is said and done. That said, the one thing that I would question whether they can handle, even though people might not think this is a real thing, it very much is, is the public relations nightmare of not taking care of one of your best players, of not having him there, of having the distraction of being asked every day where he is, how are you going to compensate for his absence, if teammates are upset, how does it disrupt the locker room? And if one player says one thing about how they don't like how this is going or, you know, they, they think he should be here or whatever, you know, this could really go south in a hurry for a lot of other reasons. So uh, there's a lot of reasons why the Giants wouldn't act at all here and would just say, hey, listen, we'll see you in September. But it's also easier said than done when you're kind of going through the, the dog days of camp here.
1: When you look at – their decision because it looked like it came down to, are we going to tag Daniel Jones or are we going to tag Saquon? They chose Saquon, obviously, but I mean, how vital is he to this team? Saquon that is because I mean, from now to looking in Daniel Jones is a fine quarterback. I don't know if he's a franchise quarterback. They paid him like one, but someone who can take you to the promised land. So, just for devil's advocate purposes, if Saquon, let's say he isn't there when the season starts, how much does that affect the guys that they did pay a, a ton of money to be a guy?
6: Yeah, no, I think it's a great point. I think it dramatically impacts Daniel and his ability to validate the contract he just got. You know, I think uh, Daniel Jones himself would be one of the first people to tell you that, you know, the run action off of Saquon's run game uh, the threat of Saquon in the backfield, Saquon's performance in some key moments early were some of the main reasons why they got off to a great start. Now, Daniel Jones made plays there too, but uh, so far, you know, do, can you sit there and say definitively that Daniel can put this offense on his shoulders without a top number one receiver that we know of around the league, like a guy like Justin Jefferson, um, you know, or a guy like Stephon Diggs at his peak in Buffalo? Or Jamar Chase with Cincinnati, or even A.J. Brown, Devontae Smith in Philadelphia with that tandem, Daniel hasn't done that yet, right? He hasn't put it on his shoulders as a passer. So um, that's why I do think that, you know, frankly, I think both Saquon and the Giants were foolish at the end of this. I think Saquon kind of gave up an opportunity to get some security, even though it wasn't the money he thinks he deserves. And I think the Giants made a hu- took a huge risk here, and really jeopardizing building on the good feelings of last season, uh, both internally from a chemistry perspective, but also from a win-loss productive perspective as well.
3: Pat, you mentioned balancing the PR look of all of this, and we always talk about the old cliche that the the media market itself and the fans in New York are, are more intense and more scrutinizing than anywhere else in the country, and I think that is true to a large extent. We've seen players that wilt under it. We've seen teams wilt under it. We've seen them thrive in it as well. Who takes the bigger PR hit if Saquon does sit out some games? Is it the team because they weren't able to take care of one of their own and the fans point to them and say this could have been a situation that was avoided altogether? Or is it at Saquon because, well, the tag is part of the business, this is an element that you understand when you are a part of the NFL, why aren't you out there?
6: Yeah, I think they both lose there, honestly. I mean, I, you know, Saquon, I know one thing that he did not appreciate was not only the numbers getting leaked and he felt like, oh, it makes me look greedy when the deal isn't really what you're saying it is that I turned down. It's also there's a good segment of the Giants fan base now that has taken the team's side in this. And that's something that Giants fans really kind of as a group are known for is kind of trusting that the team's doing the right thing and, you know, riding with the team's side. And Saquon is the most popular You know, current giant from a jersey sales perspective, from a recognizability perspective, curating, right? What do they, when they sell season tickets, he was always the guy.
1: Yeah, I'm like, they're not putting him, they're not putting DJ on a lot of these posters. (laughs) He could, he, could, he could walk down the street here in Indianapolis, and I guarantee you, the only reason someone would think he's an athlete is because of his height. But no, Saquon <laughs> Barkley is, by, by and large, the, the selling of the tickets and things, it is Saquon, but I'll let you continue. No, just throw yeah, out there. yeah,
6: no, you're absolutely right. But that's what's so curious and interesting about this whole process is, first of all, the fans have started to say, yeah, we don't want to pay a running back anymore. We like this new front office. Number two, while this negotiation kind of got more contentious, the Giants pulled Saquon off all of their promotional material. Like when they when they put their season ticket stuff out, when they put here comes training camp, you know, it's Daniel Jones, it's Dexter Lawrence, it's Xavier McKinney, it's Aziz Ojalari, You know, it's guys without even national profiles, and Saquon's not on it. So they have created, the team has helped create kind of this movement of we're going to keep moving on without you, even if it's been subtle um, from that perspective. And so – They're both going to lose here because the Giants will lose not having him representing them and helping them, but he'll lose from the standpoint of is he going to be able to stay relevant if he's not on the field, especially if the Giants are steering things away from anybody even paying attention to him.
4: Life is full of things to manage. Your work, your family, your plans, and your treatment. Consider Kesimpta Ofatumumab 20-milligram injection. You can take it yourself from the comfort of home. If you're ready for something different, ask your healthcare provider about Kisimta and check out the details at Kisimta.com. Brought to you by Novartis Pharmaceuticals Corporation.
1: Very curious, and as all things do in football, winning usually absolves or or smooths over a lot of these things. But goodness gracious, the Giants better be right about Daniel Jones <laughs> because if if they aren't, we're talking about the fan base. Oh, they're taking their side now. Oh, but we know fan bases, Pat. They switch in sway very yeah. quickly depending on how the win loss column looks. Because if they come out and again Saquon is there, not there, whatever, but the wins aren't there, there and and Daniel Jones you know, regresses or doesn't build in the season he just had, and you gave him that boatload of money and you're tied to that, oh, man, it's going to be interesting in New York for sure. But yeah. I want to pivot away from those guys and checking on some guys that Colts fans are very familiar with. How are Bobby O'Kara and Paris Campbell adjusting to life um, with the Giants?
6: Oh, good question. Yeah, so uh, Paris was actually nice enough to come on my uh, podcast, Talking Ball with Pat Leonard on the Believe Network, in June, and he was what first of all, great guy, super candid and honest about you know his time in Indianapolis, uh, how difficult it was kind of battling through injuries, how he nearly retired, I believe, after he said the yeah. second season, and um, also was extremely um, complimentary of Matt Ryan in helping him kind of reboost his confidence and get himself feeling that he could be the player he once was again uh Campbell is going to be as long as he's healthy and on the field I think a big part of their plans here I think Brian Dable has shown that he really wants Daniel Jones to have some catch and run options Uh, so Paris can give them that out of the slot they showed him at running back um, on the last practice of their mandatory mini camp that's something he can do too so uh, you know he's going to be a huge part of things I know there was a There was a practice where Daniel hit him for three straight completions. And then Okereke, you know, I'm actually really interested by this one because the Giants obviously paid him big money, but it was to play more the will linebacker position and, you know, blitz also helping coverage. But now their middle linebacker, Jared Davis, is out for the season after having surgery. And Okereke sounds like a guy who, while he has played in the middle, does not sound like he wants to. And it doesn't sound like the Giants want him to either. Like, I think they have a really defined idea of what he's going to be for them. So I know they're working out some guys today, I believe. And um, I wonder, though, if O'Karake is going to be kind of forced into maybe playing the middle uh, more often than they originally intended because of their lack of depth there.
1: You mentioned Paris Campbell lining up at running back, and I'm like, don't do it! Don't do it! <laughs> but, I mean, obviously the versatility helps him, but I was just thinking to myself, like, oh Lord, I know he's probably thinking, hey, just let's make this a big thing, because even with, like, I got, like, Debo Samuel out in uh, San Francisco. He I believe, more rushing touchdowns than receiving touchdowns last year, but I'm sure he would not want to be labeled a running back because of what's going on with them. But always good to check in with those guys, and I'm glad to hear about Paris. He is one of those guys where, um, Pat, he's – you know, you don't root for players and teams, but, like, as a human being, he's pretty easy to root for. Bobby's a great guy as well. But Paris in particular, stand-up guy, win, lose, or draw, I'm sure he'll be easy to talk to in the locker room because I'll I'll admit – After last season, what we dealt with here in Indianapolis and all the changes, (laughs) there were a lot of mics in his face after every single game, and to his credit, he never, like, you know, ducked away in the shower, never took too long. Like, he stood there and answered questions that probably he shouldn't have been answering, so hopefully he'll get, you know, uh, some stability up there in new york and i knew when uh before he left he was really excited at least when i talked to him about being paired up with brian dable and what could happen in that offense just scheme wise he's like man this guy sounds like he could you know basically get me open and i'm excited to you know uh, capitalize on that And he's on a one-year type of prove it deal too so we'll see how it goes Yeah,
6: no that's cool to hear and uh, honestly no you're right i mean like yeah you're supposed to be objective in this job and you are as far as teams go but i always tell people like you do root for individuals. You do meet people and guys and players and coaches and executives who really do things the right way, treat people right. And um, I've only met him a few times so far, but I can already see he's that kind of guy. Pat,
3: when you look at the NFC in the national conversation that it's as weak as it's ever been, it's very top heavy and it's really a race to see if it's going to be the Eagles, the Vikings, the Niners, I guess maybe the Cowboys because they're thrown in there by proxy every year that are going to represent the conference. (laughs) where, Where do the Giants see their opportunity amongst the rest of the NFC? And is it as clear cut top heavy when you look at it team by team?
6: Well, real quick, I'll answer it. But what do you guys think? Because I want to know what somebody, you know, in Indianapolis thinks of this. Thing.
3: I, I, I I do view it that way, minus the Cowboys. I was going
1: to say uh, <laughs> Eagles. 49ers run it back. That's how I see it unfolding. (laughs) I do not believe in the Cowboys. And Dak Prescott, God bless you for even saying you're not going to throw 10 interceptions because if you do, they're going to crush you for that. You should have never said that at all. And then the Vikings, I just don't think that Kirk Cousins is a guy that can get them over the top. So I do think it's really top-heavy. And, again, I think Daniel Jones would looked otherworldly against the Colts last year, but he's not going to, in my opinion, do that every single game.
6: Right. So, yeah, I think – I think the Giants finished third in the division based on how we stand today. You know, they had one of the easier schedules to no fault of their own. Well, yeah, to plenty of fault of their own last year. And they took advantage of it, especially early. But they did not finish the season strong from a win-loss perspective, despite having that encouraging win against Minnesota in the wild-card round. And their schedule coming out of the gate, gentlemen, Dallas Cowboys, Cardinals, Niners, Seahawks, Dolphins, Bills – right? Like, they're they're in a position where their roster overachieved last year, and now they're coming in still having a lot of holes to fill. And in order to build on any of the positive vibes they built last season, they're going to need to beat several of the better teams in the entire league right out of the gate this season. Plus, you have the Barkley thing hanging over their heads. I do think, listen, I think the Eagles lost a lot losing Hargrave. I do think that is one of the biggest deal this offseason, him leaving um, and going to the Niners. Um, My pick at the moment would be the Niners. I still don't believe they're going to go with the same quarterback dynamic they have right now, but I guess guess they are. But um, I think the Giants believe that they are contenders, especially if guys like Kayvon Thibodeau, Evan Neal from last year's draft class, both top ten picks. If they take another step and Deontay Banks, their first-round pick, a corner out of Maryland, if he can right away kind of hold his own on a defense in the secondary has a lot of question marks. But I just think the division's too strong, and, um, you know, frankly, their offense is going to have to get into that upper echelon of, you know, the 27 to 30-point-a-game club that all of really the, the best teams and the real contenders can score and can do. And, you know, with their current – Makeup and their inability usually to stay healthy. It's just everything would have to go right for them to get where they think they should go. So over
3: under
1: eight and a half. Under. <laughs> okay. All right. <laughs> <laughs> I got. I have them at a six or seven right now. Okay. So my last one for you, Pat, is week eight at home against the New York Jets. They have Aaron Rodgers. How do you envision that atmosphere being? assuming that both teams are doing pretty well and it's obviously one that they need to get. I just feel like the conversation obviously shifts to Aaron Rodgers, wherever he goes, but do the Giants fan base, do they feel like, okay, we got something you know, for them when they come here?
6: Right. Well, I'm glad you brought that up because that dynamic is super interesting in the context of everything happening too because, remember, while the Giants now are at odds with their best player who's not going to show up to camp, the Jets are on hard knocks Everyone's talking about them. They're considered a Super Bowl contender. Aaron Rodgers is their quarterback. So the best-case scenario for the Giants is that, you know, drama starts with hard knocks. The Jets stumble out of the gate. Rodgers' calf, you know, acts up. And then the Giants beat them head-to-head in October. And like you said, they start well. They're still relevant. They take them down. So now they have New York as a football city this season, as well as the nation's attention. But the worst-case scenario that's clearly in play here is that Barkley's not showing up. The Giants become irrelevant compared to the back-page hogs of the New York (laughs) Jets now, who everyone wants to talk about. And then, with a really, really tough schedule early, both of them do have, you're looking at the team who, you know, you, you and I know one game doesn't decide a season, but... It's a pretty short season enough where they all do matter as well. So the winner of that game will be riding high, and everyone here in New York will be declaring the winner of that game a contender and the loser of that game a complete loser. I can promise you that.
1: (laughs) That's what I love about New York, man. There is no riding the (laughs) fence in that city. It is boomer bust every single time. But, Pat, thank you so much for coming on. And, again, like I told you on Twitter, great piece on Saquon that I think really – Encapsulated all aspects of the situation.
6: Thank you. Yeah, no, context matters, right? So, just trying to do our part. <laughs> Thanks for having me on, guys.
1: Thanks, Pat. All right, that was Pat Leonard, covers the Giants and is an NFL columnist for New York Daily News. Like I said, I encourage everyone listening to go read his piece on Saquon Barkley.